Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. I hate this Duck Dynasty shit, dude. It's so stupid. Like, why Why would I want to turn on my TV and watch a bunch of stupid rednecks, like, falling off the boat while they're fishing and shit, dude? Not only that, like, so deprived of any kind of intellectual discourse at all. Well, there's nothing going on. They're, they just argue with each other sometimes, and it's just them having to go grocery shopping or some dumb shit. Like... <laughs> Oh my god, like, TV's gone to hell. Like, it, it's always been crap, but it just keeps getting progressively worse. I didn't even think it was possible. Then you see, like, all these stupid advertisements everywhere, just advertising the shit out of it. No one cares, dude. Everybody at Walmart wearing it? Yes. Yeah, yeah the Walmart people. Uh, every other person probably has a Duck Dynasty shirt on. Got pictures of Sai on it? Yeah, and, and now, and you know, what's got me all pissed off is, is now I'm looking at my Facebook wall. And there's Doug, Doug Dynasty characters with, like, quotes from the Bible beside them. <laughs> now, now there's some yeah. kind of religious symbol. Yeah, that's a big, it's a big thing among evangelicals yeah. right now. My parents watch that dumb shit, too. Yeah. After a long day's work, come home and just turn your brain off to some Doug Dynasty and some lizard lick towing. None of it's even real. Lizard lick. to Conspiranormal. It's your host, Adam Sane, and co-host, your boy, Luke. It's your boy. It's Luke your, It's your boy. Yo, peep this shit. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Luke? You doing alright? Yeah, man. Pretty good. Pretty good. Look, okay, we are off the charts here on, on what's going on. I think that's a little better. Um, so, this is the 40th episode. Right on. Yeah. 
And you have an offer for all of our listeners for our 40th episode. Anybody in the Middle Tennessee area? Uh, or not in the Middle Tennessee area? <laughs> Australia or Great Britain, wherever Luke can go? Yeah, got a place for me to park in their yard and a, a place to uh, pee. You know, I'll watch your kids maybe in exchange for... Uh, you know, like sleeping on the floor somewhere in the living room. <laughs> I think that's an offer anybody would go for. <laughs> well, anyway, just kind of a brief, short intro. Is, like I said, it is our 40th uh, episode. And today we're kind of doing like a, a different kind of thing than we normally do. Uh, we're going to talk to Tex Allen and uh, possibly his wife as well. And we're going to talk about Burning Man. It's not a conspiracy, and it's not paranormal. Right. Although, it might have, you know, some elements. You never know. Because Adam Goreitley's been to Burning Man, so... Yeah, true. You never know. A text might know Adam Goreitley. We might we might have to ask him that in the course of the interview. Yeah. But uh, we're excited to have him on. We're just going to talk about Burning Man, what it is, uh, just kind of something that I've uh, found interesting over the years, and it kind of has some... You know, we totally conspiracy to go. things going. Oh yeah, yeah. You can go. You can walk around in your loincloth, <laughs> Mr. Tuxedo. Mr. Tuxedo. <laughs> That's the only man bun I can find. You want to you want to make like one of those big contraptions that they have on the playa, like one of those like moving vehicles. Yeah. You make your car into something weird. Right. Just strip the frame off and. Right. What would you make it into? Mad Max it. But yeah, so it's, it's like Mad Max out there. I know a couple of people have actually been. Uh, Tex is a guy that uh, actually contacted us at uh, at our work uh, about buying a digital picture frame from Biggie Frame, and uh, we just got to talking to him and uh, someone that he has a also has a is also an artist. He has this thing called Why the Nose and. Basically, he takes pictures of people wearing, like, clown noses. Yeah. It's really interesting. I've got a picture that I took, and uh, another lady at our office, uh, Heather, who's a fan of the show, mm-hmm. she took a picture wearing a clown nose as well. And uh, So, he's a pretty interesting guy. He, he, he called me Mark, though, in our first conversation. <laughs> so, we'll see what names he comes up for me now. But, uh, you know, it's just something I've been thinking about doing, you know, kind of like a, out of the ordinary. You know, I know it is Halloween, but we had Jim Harold on last time, and I think we covered, like, so much stuff. Yeah, that, that was a good show. I'm getting a little sick of ghosts at this point anyway, so. Yeah, but we'll, we'll, t- we'll ask him about some paranormal stuff, so. Is there anything you want to add, Luke? We'll just uh, go ahead and go on to the interview. Dead. <laughs> awesome. I've been researching some pretty cool stuff. Well, what have you been researching? We'll Let's talk, talk about, about it real quick. Yeah, okay, well, we can, yeah, we'll talk about it when we come back after the interview, if that's cool with you. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal with Tex Allen, talking about Burning Man. All right, we're back on Conspiracy Normal, and you know who we all are. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to introduce to everybody Tex Allen. And uh, we've got Tex coming on to talk about Burning Man and some of his experiences there. And uh, Tex, if you uh, kind of introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about uh, what Burning Man Festival is, and we'll kind of just go on from there. Interesting. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it, y'all. And um, I forgot who's with you, Adam. Oh, this is Luke. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we hey, told you that the first oh, hey, Luke, time. How are you, man? Pretty good. Good to talk to you. Put a, uh, a voice with the face. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm usually the guy behind the camera. I, uh, I guess I'm occasionally in front of it. But uh, <laughs> that's not my uh, that's not my mo. 
Right. So the question was, um, or the, I think the intro was, tell tell you about Burning Man and the experiences out there. And really, boy, that's that's a huge open-ended question. Yeah. Um, or, you know, or a request, Adam, because Burning Man is, um, uh, I think one of the common adages that, I, 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 that I've heard and that I've used a few times in different ways is that trying to explain Burning Man is like trying to explain color to a blind person. Or, you know, what does your favorite emotion smell like? Because it really is that nebulous. Um, you know, Burning Man, is a, its core is, and, and I guess the easiest way to explain it is Burning Man is just the largest art event in the world. You know, it's the largest public display of art made by the public in the world. And it always has been since its inception. So, you know, if I'm trying to explain that to most people, say, what's Burning Man? It's a big, quote-unquote, festival of art out in the desert. Right. Um, but, you know, what Burning Man is, to me, at least, is like, yeah, you know, it's a mecca. And it's like any other mecca when you think of it in those terms. It's like going to the Wailing Wall. It's like going to whatever that spot is for the, for the center of your idea of spirituality. And I know that's not what a lot of people think Burning Man might be, but um, you know, at its core, when everyone gets together out there from around the world, 59,000 plus people this year, Wow! you have a gathering. Yeah, 59,000 plus. It actually happened uh, for the first time that I remember in a while, is they closed the gate on Thursday night because there were too many people. There's always extra tickets or things that, you know, there's a way to surpass the capacity of the city, and it happened for a little while on Thursday night and they weren't letting people in for hours. People actually had to leave before other people could get in. And this, huh. you know, People are out there for three hours on a Thursday <clears throat> night, which is crazy, but it happened. Um, and really that's the draw of what Burning Man offers people because uh, you know, aside from the party aspect, aside from the fire and the spectacle and everything that's shown on television in little two-minute clips or news articles that don't really going deeper than that surface what's happening is people are getting together from around the world with a single intent and that's community they're saying I will travel from Florida Israel Brazil Australia New Zealand Canada wherever to go to all the way out to the middle of nowhere in Nevada in the most inhospitable conditions just to share themselves whatever they want to you know what they bring to the quote-unquote party, what they bring to the event, what new invention, what gift. And they're going out there with a single intent of love and community. And that's it. So that's what Burning Man is. It's an intentional gathering of people getting together to commune, to share, to interact, to learn from each other, and then take that back to wherever they came from and try to replicate that, to reproduce it, to give that love out every day of the year, if at all possible, and train other people that they know, you know, train their environment, their community, whatever that is, wherever they're from, a little bit about the 10 principles that we all live by out there, which are just basic communication, human need, human, you know, human gathering, this core concepts, core precepts, core constructs that we all live by internally, but it takes the going after Burning Man to bring those out and to remind you of those. 
Well, Tex, how did the festival start? What's kind of the uh, what's kind of the history? You know, um, how did it start out? With the what kind of crowd did it have at the beginning, and how has it kind of grown over the years, and how's how has it kind of well, developed? Thank you, and, and and that's all widely documented. In fact, one of the best ways, and I can tell you what I know about it, but one of the best ways to look that up or to read about it or learn about it, you know, online uh, is at the Burning Man site. Um, and there's a few other spots, but one thing I would point people to is the movie Spark, a Burning Man story, which uh, was released last year um, by Steve Brown of Ignite, uh, also who works with Ignite.me, uh, a website devoted to this culture at large around the world. Um, and I'll tell you quickly, Steve Brown and uh, his partners helped make them some Academy Award winning films like uh, Who Killed the Electric Car you know for documentaries so they worked with the Oregon went out and filmed a, a, a complete movie over the course of uh, 2012 and that gives people a lot of insight into it but to, you know, I'll tell you that's available on iTunes also and mm-hmm. I've already rented it heck I even bought it it's, it's, a, it's an amazing rental if you want to just get a glimpse of what Burning Man really is on the ground floor but uh how it started was 26 years ago, uh, Larry Harvey, uh, an artist at that time in San Francisco, and, and admittedly what he, you know, he said many times, not a very successful one, uh, just had the idea of going out and building an effigy uh, at late summer around the solstice and going out to Baker Beach in San Francisco and burning it, as many ancient traditions have done as, you know, so sort of uh, symbolic, cathartic release. Uh, you know, this goes back to Wicker Man. This goes back you know, thousands of years, multiple cultures. You know, the idea of just burning a man as an effigy. And uh, when they did that, I think it was 25 or so people showed up, just friends. And they kept doing it, and they kept doing it to the point where after a few years, there were hundreds of people on the beach. And none of this was authorized. You know, the beginnings of a burning man started with the, uh, in, in a lot of ways, the Cacophony Society. And the Cacophony Society is, uh, if you look them up, uh, C-A-C-O-P-H-O-N-Y, the idea of Cacophony Society was a group of people who got together and did random things in public just to change or to poke people's perception of reality in the eye. It's kind of like an informal and, group, informal meeting, yeah? Yeah, yeah, so if, you know, people know what flash mobs are today. You know, that's, yeah. oh, flash mob this. Flash mobs started from cacophony. You know, the idea of randomly showing up in public, doing something that people don't understand, but it's an artistic expression to challenge their assumptions. Um, and, and so, you know, flash mobs, as an example, are the furthest iteration out from where it started. So Burning Man is, a, you know, was helped, was helped founded with help being founded by people from the Cacophony Society in San Francisco or the L.A. Cacophony Society and the L.A. Suicide Club. These are just artists who found a larger way to express themselves. So, going back to the story, after it got too big on the beach, they decided they had to find a different place to do it. And they went out to the middle of the desert, the Black Rock Desert, uh, in northwest Nevada. And they found a place found the Black Rock, well, they found a place in the Black Rock Desert to go out and have their fun, to do their large-scale art, to burn things, etc., etc. 
And it really just evolved from there. You know, once it took it to the desert, a couple of years later, there was a thousand people, then there's 2,000, then they have to start making rules, then they, you know, as this event grew, it grew into something that they couldn't control, but they knew they had set a spark within people of expression. And that's one thing that had to always stay at the core, regardless of the growth of the event and what it meant logistically. But, you know, they're giving people a key were at Burning Man, or we are giving you a key at Burning Man of freedom and expression saying, come out and do whatever you want, be yourself, show us who that is, and we respect you for that. You know, have to be a great artist. I've already heard of Burning Man call the largest amateur shit show <laughs> in the world, and it absolutely is. But also in the back of the ticket it says, you can die, because we don't yeah. put restrictions on, you can't get close to that fire, or you can't do X. Yeah, you can do that. You know, our first, our first, uh, the, the first sentiment, you know, the first part of the ethos, the first principle of the ethos is radical self-reliance. Yeah, bring all your stuff, have a good time, show us who you are, let's commune, and if you do something stupid, you're warned, you should have enough sense. So, you know, Burning Man in his heart is really, um, not that this is an absolutely accurate description of anarchy because it's sort of the pop culture version of anarchy, but it's just anarchic event out there in the desert. Um, but at the same time, it happens to be the, you know, the, the quote-unquote hippie principles you know, from 40-plus years ago. It's just the hippies 40 years later with a lot of technology in the harshest testing ground to show that not only can we have a good time and work with each other, but we can create amazing stuff that's going to go out, continue to filter its influence of innovation out around the planet, whatever that is, and then we come back again and do it and do it and do it. So, you know, Burning Man is really just a 40-year test bed of community and technology in artistic self-expression. I think that's the easiest way to uh, explain it succinctly. <laughs> Uh, why have they put a, a limit on the um, capacity? Um, that's really just a function of the contract with uh, the Bureau of Land Management. You know, we go out and we, we rent that land. So they say, okay, you know, based on the environmental impact, based on what we think you can handle, we can handle, et cetera, they come up with a limit of number of people that we can spend in the space that we, that we lease. Okay. And, you know, this year it was 68-something thousand people. And I think over the course, I think over the course of the next few years, it's going to raise to something like 72 or 75,000. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of people in and, an area like that. And I've been told, too, that uh, after everything is said and done, that there's like, there's nothing. Everything is just as you guys found it. Yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the idea. The idea is you know, one of the principles is leave no trace. And, you know, you know as well as I, you can chime in, is, you know, if you go to a concert or a gathering or an event in public, um, generally there's, there's trash cans, right? But those trash cans are always overflowing. Mm-hmm. You know, once halfway through the day, you know, people come, kids get there, whatever's going on, like noon, 2 o'clock, it's an all-day event. Trash, trash cans are getting full, and then the stuff's on the ground, and then, you know, depending on where you are, like where I'm in San Francisco, it isn't as bad because people are kind of used to leaving no trace, but, you know, in most places, it's, yeah, yeah, by 5 o'clock, the whole place is trashed and, yeah. you know, it's no longer any fun. And we have, I don't know, one of my most important principles is leave no trace because we're in a damn desert. 
you know, and nothing first, nothing lives out there. It's an alkaline environment. It will kill you. You know, no, nothing lives out there because it's literally like ancient bones, etc. Dinosaurs, millions of years of history creating that environment. So it's already a harsh place, but we don't want to make it worse. We want to leave it as cleaner, cleaner than when we got there. So our first, one of the things you're responsible for is your own trash. Leave no trace. If you if you got a Snickers bar and you're going to snack on that, put that thing in your pocket. Put that trash in your pocket if you're not near your camp. If you are, take it to where you're taking you know your trash. Separate it out. Recycling is one place. Things we can burn is another, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go around Burning Man, the third largest city every year in Nevada while it's happening, by the way. Yeah, you find that there's, there's no trash. Look at videos of Burning Man. There's no trash on the ground. And the idea is everyone takes it with them, and afterwards, if whatever's left is cleaned up and picked over by a team of people who spend a month out there and go literally arm-in-arm looking down with little trash pickers and tools and implements, and if they see anything that looks like something was left, they'll go down and they'll dig it up and put it in a pile, you know, take it with them, and get rid of that trash, and then we make a map of how everybody did, because the city is set up in sections and coordinates and blocks, like any other city, and we have a big map called the MOOP map, and MOOP is M-O-O-P, and that stands for Matter Out of Place. So you have a MOOP map, and you go, look, at the end, here's how you did, look for your camp. Oh, your camp is green, or your camp is red, or your, or your camp is, you know, might be red. So we grade people, we also take care of the whole playa, and a month after it's done, it is cleaner than when we left it generally. I mean, it, it is, you know, and we also move the event every year away from where it was last year, so the actual, like, what's the word, the, uh, the footprint of the site moves around so we don't sit on the same place in the playa every year. Right. Okay. That's a massive effort. Yeah, all this really. Effort. Oh, my God. So yeah, yeah, just it's massive. It's, well, just just your own personal camp cleaning that can be massive. I mean, you know, we're out there with rakes and sisters, like you would have, you know, for flowering the kitchen, going through the going through the actual dust and making sure that we, you know, when we leave, we'll recamp and you know, like all of our friends, that that stuff is clean, that nothing is left. And you know, you have to because fifty nine thousand people. You know, everybody left one thing. It's like the old McDonald's analogy when I was working as a kid. Well, everybody wastes one ketchup. Remember how, imagine how many ketchups you're wasting across yeah. the whole system. That's millions a day. Like, yeah, imagine each of you idiots out here at Burning Man who came out and don't know what's going on. And that's okay, you'll learn. But if you drop the, you know, a beer can, 25,000 people leave a beer can, that's 25,000 beer cans. Right. You know, that's a massive pile of crap. So, yeah, I know <laughs> And, and we're trying to teach people to keep the environment clean. Take, you know, take this to your daily life. Pick up trash that you see other people drop. I mean, I can't tell you how pissed off I get, and I'm, I'm trying as a newfound hippie not to just run up on people in front of me if I see them toss a can out of the car and just like, here, here's your can, put it back in their hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's cleanliness and burning, man. I wanted to ask you, uh, Tex, about the themes for the events. Uh, I think the theme for this, just the one that just passed, was uh, had to do with like UFOs. I think. And uh, how yeah, do the uh, cargo cult? Yeah, the cargo cult. 
which was interesting. How did they, how did they choose those themes? What are, and what are some of the themes that they've they've had in the past? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I don't work for the org. I should have said that right up front. You know, I'm just a guy that kind of lives this every day because the because the environment, the people, the community really changed my life. It yeah. gave me a life. After, right. You know, and, I, and I was 38 years old before I got introduced to these people, you know, to the, to the communities at large. Um, so if I don't work for the org, I'll tell you, I don't know how they choose their themes. I think that's a great mystery that only the six people at the core know, you know, um, I certainly know people that work for the organ. I don't know anybody that knows how the themes are picked. I've never heard. Um, I know that there's got to be thought put into it. And I'll give you, a, you know, the reason I say that is this year's theme, for example, Cargo Cult. Cargo Cult was based on um, the, the uh, stories of the South Pacific Islanders who... Um, well, during World War II, you know, we flew over to these Pacific Islands. We landed in big, beautiful jet planes, I mean, big planes, silver, crazy monster things from the sky. And we brought a lot of interesting toys with us. And it looked like to these Pacific Islanders out there in the 40s that we were gods. It's like, wow, these gods came down. Look at this right. whole thing. And, the, you know, they, they have fire and they destroy. So they started worshiping us from afar and building idols, um, building effigies, building affectations of what they thought we were bringing, you know, what they, they were building the best version of what we had out of what they had. So bamboo, leaves, sticks, etc. And they were building planes, and they were building, you know, these, like, here, gods, look what we built. Check us out. You know, we're doing this for you. So they kind of created a cargo cult because all we were bringing in was cargo. And when we left, we took everything with us. So they were looking at us like, wow where the gods go and they kept doing this stuff hoping we would come back so the idea of cargo cult here was we as humans today don't understand or appreciate where our supplies come from you know it's like stuff just kind of magically appears you go to the store it's just magically on the shelf yeah right like right. where does that come <laughs> from you don't know I don't know if I tracked it down we could know but even then could we reproduce it so we take really can we really take care of ourselves? No, we really, you know, at this point we really can't. That's where humanity is. We've offshored everything, our manufacturing base in the US is dead, etc. So we're kind of sitting around like natives looking at the gods, consumer culture, etc., going, just give, 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 and here we'll just keep we'll keep bowing to you because we don't know how to take care of ourselves. We are in fact as humanity now a cargo cult. You know, mm-hmm. we have taken the place of these people because now we are really or we're at the behest of people who produce it for us and we don't know who they are so at large cargo cult was a theme about consumption taking care of yourself etc etc basic burning man was anyway but they wrapped it around this idea of science fiction mythology alien landing etc because I think a big joke at least for me and a few other people out there that I've talked to is the aliens are already here. We already know this. I'm sure your podcast already talks about this stuff somewhere in the past. But yeah, we've talked here. about it somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have. I have no I mean, personally. You know, and this goes out to whoever listens to it. You can think Tex Allen is crazy, but you know, one I know that's already happened for years, for decades. I'm sure they're already out in the playa because we're arguably some of the smartest people on the planet, trying to raise the vibration, trying to teach other people how to live 
respectfully in the community, and they're probably out there just observing us. So this idea of cargo cult as a theme was hilarious because people love to joke about one of the aliens going to land on the playa. Well, we built you know a, a UFO half the size of a football field in the middle of this thing, and it just it was just kind of like a gig, you know, like a, kind of like a just a poking somebody in the eye again with themes, with mythology, and with the whole mythos of Burning Man. I mean, what's cooler than people seeing videos later of everything we did out there, plus there was a giant UFO. Yeah. Um, And in the past, we've had, like, rites of passage was one three years ago. And it was about what is your rites of passage. Show us what a rite of passage means to you. And that year in particular, the temple was one of the largest temples ever built that we had out there and people really did go through a lot of rites of passage while they were making you know at, at that burning man and the art reflected theme rites of passage so it's usually just an art theme but typically it goes much deeper I just I, I wish I could tell you how it was chosen and you know at some point in the next couple three months we'll have a new theme right well I want to get into text what I really want to get into is the kind of the meat of this conversation which is your own experiences there. Uh, okay. I've talked to you before. You've told me uh, some about, like, your experiences about the burn and and all that. But I want to talk about how, like, you came to go to Burning Man, how it changed you, how it affected you, what you, and some of, like, your personal experiences are. Yeah. And you know, and, and that really is all anybody ever has, right? It's your own personal right. experience. That's your that's your filter of reality. Um, how did I get into this? How did I mean, Kat and I? Again, I'm sorry, y'all. She's she uh, wasn't able to make it on the interview today, but uh, everything I discussed and just point out, and everything I've have discussed really involves here her. So maybe we'll uh, we'll link her somewhere, and I can see a picture. So how did I and she and I get into this? Well, eight years ago, we landed in San Francisco to work on a couple of internet ideas and startups and opportunities. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, we were living in hotel rooms, just working day to day like a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Now. You know, that's what's happening. It's a big tech boom. There are 28 people in a single, you know, two-bedroom house in San Francisco working. Only we were doing it in hotel rooms and sublets. And while we were here, um, over the course of some time, we went to a couple of parties because we saw them advertised, someone invited us, and um, it really broke when we went to a thing called SantaCon, which you may have heard of. It's around Christmas, Santa's getting together hundreds of them in a big bar crawl slash uh, <laughs> make people feel good. So uh, it's like a bunch of Santas that get together every year? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, 20, Twenty years ago, the same people kind of started Burning Man, do it, did this thing, and Santa's. It was an idea of just kind of getting cacophony, poking people in the face. Here's ten or twenty Santas running around in a bar crawl, being belligerent, and at the same time, you know, when they're meeting people or kids, etc., they're being nice. But it was just an idea of like the drunken bar crawl Santa thing, which ended up now all this time later there's within 40 50 cities around the world around the first of December every year look it up Santa Con or Santa Archie like Santa Anarchy so that's awesome you know, it's, <laughs> it's great yeah it's massive and we've actually helped organize that for years and we kind of quit finally 
but anyway, the first thing we did was um, we got to the communities because we went to SantaCon. We knew about it. It was San Francisco where it started. We said we had to go. We met some people who saw us and said, wow, you guys are really having a good time, a particular uh, woman there. There's a party lady you should show up to. It looks like you'd be the kind of people to go. And it turns out that party was at a community space, which um, also turned out the community space was in the middle of a Venn diagram of everything that makes anything happen regarding Burning Man culture uh, at large in San Francisco. People who go through this space, I would say 75% of them were burners. So we went to San Francisco, we got invited to the party. A couple of months later, the people who ran the party heard we were living in hotel rooms, called us up. You know, they got our number because we had sent them some information about um, helping them out with some items that we do with internet and graphics because we like them so much. And they said, look, we're understanding living in a hotel room. We have a community space with extra room. You can help us. You know, we can help you. Why don't you come live here and save some money? And we took a leap of faith. And it turns out those people trained us and loved us and took care of us. And in short order, we found ourselves, and we didn't understand at the time, but inadvertently in the middle of Burning Man. Like, these people had been there for years. They helped create the stuff. And suddenly they were the people giving us a place to live, and we were helping them 24 hours a day, seemingly, with all of their projects. So we got pulled in like baptism by fire. It's like, oh, you're living in a hotel? Come live with us. And we got dropped into the middle of the desert, you know, just happened to be a room in the middle of San Francisco. So that's how we found it. Um, But the experiences there, you know, going out there is what really changed me. And, and we had already been around for uh, three or four years before we went out to the desert for the first time to Burning Man. Uh, we had gone out to the desert with these people for a little something they do around the 4th of July where people just get together without tickets and treat it like it's old school Burning Man. So we'd been out to the desert. We'd never been to the event. And having been around these communities for, for, you know, for 24 hours a day for a few years and got out to the desert and at the event, we actually never wanted to go to Burning Man. It was like, it's like that, man. That's crazy. <laughs> because we'd seen, the, we'd seen the messes that they would bring back, and we would help them have to, we had to help them clean up all the time for the, every week in what we were doing, and then they came back from the desert. It's like the biggest damn mess you ever saw. It's like, no, thank you. Yeah. And like, we, we understand these parties. We help run them. This is awesome. Why in the heck would we ever want to go out to somewhere where it's even worse conditions and do the same stuff? Out in the middle of the desert, yeah. But we did it. Yeah. And it took, like, that first moment of getting there for all of the, quote, you know, all the synchronicities, everything to start falling into place. And when you asked me about my experiences at Burning Man, yeah, it's, for me, Burning Man is about experiencing magic. Because when I go out there, I'm going out with this intention in my heart to meet, commune, give out love, give out noses, right? And um, when I do that, I'm taking that intention out there. So that's a certain vibrational frequency. You know, this is all quantum physics. You know, science can has proven a lot of this in the past few years. And we all know that we're all energy anyway. The light is energy. Everything is energy. So when I go out there to Burning Man, specifically, I'm taking a certain energy with me. And I don't have any intentions anymore or any, like, 
okay, I'm going to go do this, or I intend on experiencing this, or I'm going to go hear this DJ or whoever, whatever that intention is. I don't make plans. I just take out my intention. So as I go out there with this intention, people, situations, encounters come my way, or they would come your way too, but they come your way with whatever frequency that is, and those are the people that I connect with. Those are the stories that I have. That's what happens to me out there. I let the experience come to me. That's all okay. I have to do. That's all anybody has to do at Burning Man. And my experiences are dramatic, and they're magical to most people when you hear them because you wouldn't otherwise be able to believe it. And if you want to hear, yeah, I've got tons of stories. Um, there's this year, well, I, I'll tell you a story from a, a year ago. Okay. So on a Sunday, on a Sunday, uh, on Sunday we burned the temple. You know, we burned the man on Saturday, but we burned the man, the temple that we build on Sunday. And the temple is the place that was built starting about 15 years ago because we, the communities realized that we needed a spiritual center to take all of our woes and sorrows or hopes and dreams, things we want to let go of on that level. We needed somewhere for that. The man is, you know, the man is the man for catharsis. The temple is a place to be, to take your sorrows, to maybe even be reborn. You know, it's a, it's a spiritual center of the community. And they built it for that. So I was at the temple on Monday morning where the temple had burned. After it burned on Sunday, I went out Monday morning with some equipment, some tools, because I wanted to go out and look for artifacts. People leave things in the temple. And I said, you know, let me just go out and see what was left after the fire, because it's something I've never done. A lot of people go search for artifacts. The idea being that whatever is left in the temple afterwards likely has some pretty heavy energy, spiritual significance, whatever you want to call it. Okay. And whatever you and whatever you find, you find, and that's what you're supposed to find, right? It's like the right. journey. Okay. And I specifically went out to find a heart for cat, something that reminded me of her, and I really wanted a heart and something about a cat. And as I'm digging through the artifacts, uh, a guy comes up next to me, and he's just got like khaki cut-off shorts and a beard and no shoes and like a necklace and a... Uh, a uh, container of Jiffy Pop popcorn. Okay. <laughs> and he's trying to, yeah, right? And he's trying to pop his popcorn over these coals that are still really quite hot in some areas. And I'm out there in cowboy boots and jeans and everything. Like, I'm ready to do what I'm doing with gloves, et cetera. He wasn't prepared. So I was like, hey, man, let me help you out. Uh, and I get a piece of metal I find and some wire I had, and I bring it up, and there's this piece of this is container of Jiffy Pop I'm about five feet away from us now and I'm shaking it and we're cooking it and it's slowly getting warm and he, he thanks me and, and, uh, and I said that's fine man hey I said hey what's your uh, what's your name uh, he says my name is Scott and I said cool my name is Tex and I asked him uh, I said why are you doing this he said, well, um, every year I would come out here with a friend of mine named Rollo, and we'd pop popcorn, and once it was ready, we'd eat it, thinking about people that passed, people that we want to remember. But this year, Rollo died, so I'm out here doing it for both of us. Mm. I was like, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. I'm so glad you know, I can help you. I said, I got your first name, Scott. What's your middle name? 
which is Allen, A-L-L-E-N. Okay. Like, That's great, man. <laughs> and we're talking, well, they called me Tex when we first moved here because there were too many people with my name in our community where we landed in this space. It's like, we can't keep calling you your name because too many of us are all getting, you know, too many people come through here, we'll get confused. I'm going to take you back to the Temple story. So his first name was Scott, his middle name was Alan. He called me Tex because I was from Texas and they thought it was funny. And there were too many Scots in the community. Huh. Scott, so my name is Scott Allen. This guy's name was Scott Allen. I didn't ask him his last name. Weird. Yeah, and see, and it's not just weird, man. The thing is, it's just, that's it. You go to Burning Man, and as an example, you go to the temple like I went to, with that intention, with that frequency going. What's going to freaking happen? It's a magnet. The exact same intention and energy got pulled to me, and people would go, man, that's just the, you know, most people, that's the weirdest thing, dude. Oh, my God, that synchronicity, that's coincidence. Oh, that's crazy. You know, people tell me, people have asked me, is that true? Is that story true? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that story's true. Because that's what Burning Man does. It pulls together energy that you bring, and it brings you what you need. So and you need someone with the same name as you. And when I'm helping him pop popcorn uh. from a friend that died. But what happened that year also, as I look back in this, was that that was the year that the old guy, me, actually physically just finally went away because I had asked Kat to marry me at the temple that year. So many stuff went on that year that some of the stuff that happened, that it was a big catharsis. And this year was even a larger catharsis. And I have a story from this year that take that story and blow it out by 10. Like, you know, like you cannot believe what happened. Like, I became my father this Saturday. I... I last Saturday at the burn on burn night that day there was a moment that everything came into alignment and I became my father my dad used to teach me ridiculous crazy cacophony fun things to do okay like we'd be at the store at the grocery store and he would just for the heck of it pretend like he was going to vomit start getting over and holding <laughs> his head and oh, I can't help it. I go home oh, feeling sick, and I help, and I hold the bed, and I ask, "Oh, Dad, are you going to be okay?" And my mom would just walk off. She's like, "Fuck this! This is I'm bad." <laughs> or he'd go outside the grocery store and you know where we were, and like point up and say, "You see that? You see that?" And I'd look up and yeah, he's wow, that's amazing. And you know, there'd be twenty people looking up in the air, and we'd be laughing our butts off. <laughs> the heart of Burning Man, right? So this year, during the, middle of the, during the middle of the burn, I'm out biking around. I meet a, a mom, actually two moms, and these kids, and these four kids on bikes, and they're all dusty, and they are got all their gear on and goggles and, you know, and, like, fur, and they're just awesome. And it turns out they were first-year burners, and they were helping build camps, and they were the most awesome young kids ever, and they're, like, anywhere from ages 11, I think it was 11, 9, 7, and 4. Okay. And they were just killing it. They were killing it. And they were like model, model kids, like your junior scouts for the playa. Well, it turns out they, when later I found that they're camping right across the street from us a couple of days later. So these are like the kids we're going to hang out with whenever they're at their camp and they're having fun because it's like we got our own little neighborhood. Saturday afternoon, 
I'm out in the middle of the street near where we're camping, and uh, I was going to go out and take some pictures, and the kids are, uh, hand, are spraying people with water bottles and giving them misting and cooling them off, which was awesome. So I said, this is great. Let me go take a bullhorn after these kids and really teach them some stuff and how to yell at people, like telling people they're awesome, having some fun with a bullhorn, calling them in, barking them like at a carnival. These kids are barking in people for misting. They're barking in people to get nose photos. I'm handing out noses. They're spraying people. It's a party on the street. And I realized that at that point, I had become my dad teaching this new generation of kids about how to have fun, how to interact with people, how to give out love in that environment. And it's only their first year, and I had these kids, and we had this whole scene in the street. I'm, like, playing in the street with the kids. And it took me until I was 46 years old to get to that point. And there's a photo of me on my Facebook profile that Kat took that afternoon when I'm sitting on top of the ladder looking down. And one of the boys, Michael, had come out, and he had put on a cowboy hat and a clown nose that has on one of the exact necklaces I have on from a camp that gave it to me, a camp that he must have visited. And down below is a girl with red hair and sunglasses and cat ears that looks like cat. So I'm on the top of the ladder, and below are many versions of cat and I in the <laughs> middle of the street, and there's a photo of it. It's fucking Norman Rockwell, a triangle composition, everything is perfect. I'm like, that really happened. Wow. I was there, they were there, and there's a fucking photo of it, of that moment of me laughing, looking down, and there's a, one of the other kids, one of the little girls down there with a spray bottle hanging on to the ladder, and it's like, there it is. That was a moment before the burn night, before the man went up. Yeah. So it all just kind of fell into place and then the rest of that night was just encounter after encounter like that where you meet people and it's like you're in a dream it's like did that really happen yeah it really happened huh. because I was with you and we saw it and we remembered it and there's a photo and that's just that's Burning Man you that's know it's like, one that, of two of hundreds of encounters that, that leads me to an interesting question when you when you leave the playa and when you, you know, when you leave Burning Man, does it feel like some of the experiences that you have kind of feel like they were dreams in a way? Absolutely. But, you know, huh. we're all, everything is a dream. That's just it. You know, yeah. You're in a waking dream right now. You know, because your, your mind doesn't know the difference between quote-unquote reality, you know, being awake and being asleep. In fact, it's closer to its more natural state when you are asleep. Yeah. So huh. everything is a dream. Everything you're like, you and I are talking right now and I'm doing a podcast with you and you guys right. are both on your end. But I'm just a dream to you and you're just a dream to me. You're just a manifestation of energy and light coming through this little filter of consciousness that I am. So really, when you leave the playa, does it seem like it's a dream? Well, absolutely. Especially if you haven't been there very often because you're not acclimated, or if you're not around this community and these cultures very much, you're not acclimated to the idea that fantastic things can happen in your yeah. life. It's like, oh man, that's just, again, we go back to synchronicity, coincidence is deja vu. You know, people like deja vu, man, 
that was weird. Is, you know, people that might have seen the Matrix say, "Remember that thing with the cat? There's like a glitch in the Matrix." Well, yeah, there is. You're always in the Matrix. You're creating this dream. And Burning Man, when you're out there or in the communities at large, in any event that's similar to Burning Man or sponsored by or whatever, everybody has these experiences that have been there and have been around these communities. So all this energy always combines together to create experiences that later you think are magical or are dreams. You know, I know people that never take a picture of Burning Man because they want to remember it all in a liminal state. You know, they don't want a photo. I know one person who's been 15 times, she's only got one photo of herself out there. Wow. One. And you have to decompress, and you have, you know, once you get done, you're not over. When you leave, all that energy is still with you, and now you're taking it out to the world, so that's why we have a thing called decompression a, a month later. Uh, a party around, most communities around the world have these gatherings called decompression because it takes a month or so to even get back into, quote-unquote, reality. You know, the fact that not everybody is ready to hug you, smile at you, shake your hand, gift you something, take care of you, 24 hours a day, even though you don't know them. Wow. You know, in, I'm sorry, best case scenario, right, best case. But to just fall back into the reality of work, Walmart, traffic, <laughs> bank, blah, 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 blah. So it all, it's always with you. It's just a matter of how much you allow yourself to experience that at all times. Versus just saying, well, it happened out there, now I have to fall back into reality. That was a fun party. Um, yeah, I, I like to always uh, hang out with kids when I get the chance because they, I feel like they can teach you something about yourself that you might have forgotten. You know, and and I, I try to make it a point to tell people, rather on Facebook or someone I'm talking to face to face, that. Uh, you know, learning new things and new experiences in, is in life are just as important as not forgetting the ones that you've already learned. And that ha that happens uh, so often, I find whenever you hang out with kids, they can kind of reteach you some of the things that used to be so important and such an integral part of life that you've dropped off for some new transition of life that you've moved into. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you want to find the most you want to find innocence, you want to find wonder, go to a kid because they haven't been, you know, depending on how old they are in their environment, they haven't been corrupted. You know, when you're born, you're you're perfect, you're flawless, and you still are. It's only the environmental controls, the environmental mores, the social mores, what happens to you that piles on top of who you were born to be mm -hmm. that takes you away from that path. Yeah, and so being around people that are on that same journey is the most important thing you can do. I think it was Neil Gaiman who quoted, who I think one of his quotes, um, and I'm loosely translating here, was like, you know, one of the most important things you can do is if you're on the path to consciousness and you're on your journey, you're always trying to, you want to remember and better yourself, be around those people who can remind you of that. And oftentimes you're right. It's children. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I like my nose shots are kids because it's like here's an absolute innocent ball of wonder and joy in front of me, I want to capture this moment because, you know, if they want to know, it's like, here you go. Yeah. Here's the first one to give it to you because they're innocent and I get to put something that has an intentional love and energy into their hands and just to watch that happen. People just, yeah, people watch the kids and go, wow, I w wow, I now I remember that. I remember being that young. I remember I have those feelings again. That's what, you know, that's just one of the reasons that 
um, that is the main reason that we have to go out and be around other people and take ourselves out of our boundaries of comfort it's to remind ourselves who we were and show ourselves who we can be once we remember that Tex, with all the uh, ceremonies, like the burning of the temple, the burning of the man, do you see, like, the, um, you know, we kind of covered this a little bit, but, like, there's, like, a spiritual kind of religious aspect to, to Burning Man? Um, well, it's definitely a spiritual aspect. People like to joke and call it a cult or a religion. <laughs> I, always balk, I always balk at that. I mean, here's my situation. Here's my background. I grew up Southern Baptist. Okay. You know, I, grew up in the, I grew up in the church. It never really resonated me with me to the point where I always I felt like I could be a part of it, and like I always questioned my faith. I always questioned my I questioned my faith. I'll just say it. You know, I went to Christian school for six years, also, and uh, through high school, and there was always something that was missing for me in the equation of okay, I can get to this end goal, which is salvation, which is whatever heaven is, if it's feet of gold and white clothes and hearts and we're all eating caviar, whatever that is, you know, um, that's my goal. And the opposite of that goal was if I fail in making it there, then I'm going to be down somewhere else being tormented, pitched for it, skin ripped from me, flames, hellfire, damnation, and I can't even imagine the rest. And this is for eternity, y'all. So it's way worse than when you just fell off a skateboard and you got a scab that's hurting your ass all day and it's bleeding every now and then for a week. This is <laughs> eternal damnation. Luke can understand that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. I got plenty of... I'm with you. I got plenty of strawberries. I saw a lot on skateboards and everything else. So, when we talk about the spiritual aspects of Burning Man, what, what I found in the communities at large from this constant tutelage of friends around here was dogma went away. And I finally learned that there is that, that the religious tales are just that. They're tales, they're tales, they're tales. And they're great tales. It kept me out of trouble my whole life, mostly, because I was scared. But at the same time, it did teach me great habits. So all these religious texts that go out, that fully predate the Bible, you know, two, three thousand years before, they all tell the same, they all tell the same tale. And once I got rid of the idea of anything between me and the divine, there was an intermediary that I had to go through for salvation to be myself, then the power came in. So when you say, when you have questions about religious ideologies or those overtones at Burning Man, at Burning Man and events like it and things that have spawned off, the idea is that you are the creator. You're the master of your destiny. You are the power. And we all back that up with you. So it's very spiritual in that we help raise each other up to say that your expression of yourself as an individual is the most important, the most holy, the most sacred thing you could be doing with your life, is finding out who that is and drawing those energies towards you to fulfill that destiny, whatever that destiny is. For some people, it's building a 40-foot art car that looks like a dragon that can hold 100 people and play amazing music and shoot fire and drive that son of a bitch around for 24 hours a day until your gas runs out. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Because it looks awesome, because if people will remember this thing, because maybe they got on top and danced, maybe they danced at the dance party in front of it when it was parked in front of the temple at sunrise, and it was the most beautiful experience of their life. You know, that is when you feel that 
as an example, that is a religious quote unquote experience. You know, see people in, in church, and I remember it's like, oh, I got the spirit, got the spirit, talking in tongues, hallelujah, blah, 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 follow on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. They're feeling the experience of source, of God, of, uh, of the universe flowing through them at that moment through that filter that they have for salvation. Well, it happens at Burning Man. And it has happened to me when someone came up, uh, a girl came up during that Saturday afternoon I was telling you about recently here in the last few minutes. And she said, two girls and a guy came up, young, uh, young, 20s, early 20s. And she looked at the lights, hey, can you come down here? I was like, absolutely. You know, I'll give you a hug. And she, she wanted to give me a hug. And when she hugged me, she said, you're my favorite character at Burning Man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like your character. Yeah. But it's true. My character, my character came out. Who I was came out, and I live fully now as much as I can. But certainly I do out there. And it turns out she had been watching and following Kat and myself for the past almost two years on Facebook. Oh, wow. And she wanted to come and hug me and say, you're my favorite character. And then she gave Kat a necklace that was very important to her and gifted that to her and put it on her neck. That's a religious experience, if you want to call it that. But it's definitely a spiritual one. It's like, okay, my spirit, what I do, I found in that moment, and I found it many times, people tell me, males and calls or whatever, every other day, sometimes every day, it's like, what you're doing affected me to the point where now I am on a little different path. You have helped me along my path. So we all do that for each other out there. That's what we encourage you to do. Live yourself, whatever that is. Find your joy. Express that. And not even circumstantially, but just naturally, what that does is that creates spiritual experiences. Because spirituality is only, again, it's energy, it's aligning frequencies. And when you do that, then your heart opens up. You feel those rushes of emotion. You feel and understand that there's a change taking place in your life and again, it could be it could be two a.m. in the night, and someone you pull up on a camp and they're cooking steak, and they say, "Hey, man, are you hungry?" And you go and you have the most amazing, beautiful talk of your life with somebody from Tennessee who brought a bunch of steaks and was cooking them, and thought your coat looked cool. And turns out, you have two hours of talking to do, and you had not planned that. You right. have a spiritual experience. It speaks to your spirit. There's no religion involved because we don't say at least I don't say I say we pejoratively but you know I don't tell you you have to go to Burning Man you have to believe X X and X yeah. no we ask you to adhere to these principles which are the same principles basically as any other the quote unquote commandments we have 10 principles there's 10 commandments there's 20 teachings of Confucius there's whatever if you want to put a construct if you want to put a construct of a religion around it that's your filter. I'm just, I just live it because it's the way you should live life. If it looks religious, then absolutely it's religious to you, and that's great. If you want to have some faith and go out there and build that 40-foot dragon that the other guy built, only do it better, take that leap of quote-unquote faith and do that, but you're taking faith in yourself and not the other guy. There's no intermediary between you and the reward of redemption because the redemption is you and the realization of who you are. 
wow, that was epic. How'd that come out? Nice. <laughs> really nice. Hey, Tex. Wow. Uh, <laughs> We talk a lot about like uh, we talk a lot about like ghosts and paranormal stuff on this show. You know, that's the normal part of the conspiracy normal. Yeah. But, uh, I want to know like uh, has there ever been like any paranormal activity going on at the? We were talking well, kind of, talking about aliens before a little bit, but has there been like paranormal stuff that goes on at the Burning Man ever? Um, I think it goes back to this. I think the whole conversation I've had on religion, spirituality, energy, Burning Man, etc. is like the things happen that are paranormal. Yeah. The only paranormal to me is extra normal, right? Something beyond what you would consider normal. So have I have I seen people I mean I there's 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 people who there's one person in particular that people have seen many times by locate, like, yo man, I just saw him over there and now we just saw him over here. Whoa! <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I'd be following that guy around. Yeah, really. Yeah, um, or just just this year. Here's something that you might can. Here's 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 paranormal. So July of this year, Cat and I, we didn't go out to the to the playa for our typical Fourth of July fun. We ended up doing a pool party in Reno. We do this every year after we go out there on the fourth anyway. So we did this fourth annual pool party. Dozens of burners show up over the course of two or three days. We run all the cabanas at the Vegas-style pool in Reno, and we have a community gathering there. So instead of getting dusty, we hang out at the pool at the cabanas all weekend. And uh, a friend, well, a woman who knew about the party, who's a burner, who had only ever seen Cat and I online, decides to show up because she heard about it. She was in the area, and I'm glad she did. And she brought two young guys with her from Oregon, who um, were kind of visiting the area working on some art projects. Didn't they? They were may or may not be going to Burning Man. Well, it turns out those guys were awesome, fantastic, young, full of fire, scientists, geeks, crazy, hilarious. They ended up showing up at Burning Man and camping in the same camp with Cat and I, not twenty feet away. Hmm. Twenty feet away. Had no plans. Didn't even know it was going. This was going to happen. Yeah. Then later in the week, every every day I would turn around once, and one of the guys named one of the guys who was there named Dylan. Dylan would just be right where I was, and I'd be on I'd be in the far reaches of the quiet. I went to the airport one time. This is like three miles from the middle of Burning Man, out where we people come in and fly, and we have an airport and the whole nine yards we build out there. He was there. I biked out there just to go meet somebody. Here's Dylan. Turn around uh, two hours later. Here he is again. It's like, what is going on? You know, is this guy biolocating? Is he following me? And no, he just keeps popping up where I am because we met earlier. Because at some point, this grand design of my life and his life is going to continue to keep clicking in place. You know, it goes back to weird deja vu, synchronicities, ghosts, etc. You know, how in the world can somebody I don't even... You know, I've only met a couple of times and get, I'm friends with him, but over the course of the week, almost every, every day he's somewhere I am right. and we're not talking or anything and he's showing up exactly when I turn around. It's like, oh, what are you doing here? Yeah, out of, out of 50,000 people too, that's kind of a <laughs> right. slim chance. Yeah. yeah, I think the idea of paranormal, just, there is no paranormal at Burning Man because everything is available and everything happens and... Um, there's even I think there was a project called this one time at Burning Man 
that's out there on the web somewhere. And people have stories like mine, and it's like, man, I can't believe that. You're crazy. No? Wow. So, yeah, the, but if, if, if you were trying to investigate paranormal activity, I'm sure that would be an unbelievable experiment if someone had the instrumentation to go out and do, like, the whole EKG thing and do Ghostbusters. Yeah, Tennessee, we'll send the Tennessee Ray Tasters out there yeah. anyway. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, in the time that we have uh, left... Um, Tell us real quick about why the nose. Why the nose? Um, wow. Well, why the nose? God, the east. Why the nose? Why the nose is my destiny. Why the nose, at least for now, is my destiny. It's my dharma. Um, three years ago, uh, as another cacophony thing to do out in public, I wore a nose out one evening. Now, previously, Cat and I had worn anime hats before they were cool, you know, before they were a hot topic, right? Right. Or, um, you know, big furry hats or whatever it took just to have some fun in public because we felt like it, and if it affected somebody else, then great, you know, bonus. So one day I wore clown nose out as not as something to do not to wear a hat or whatever. And um, the first day, the first evening, two or three people asked me, hey, why are that nose? And I had to tell them just because it makes me happy. You know, maybe just because it makes you happy, just to have some fun, just because, just to have some fun, just to spread some love. And the very next day, after hearing the question, why the nose, two or three times, Kat asked me, she said, hey, which she actually said, hey, you should get that domain, whythenose.com. And I did. And I kept wearing it, and I kept wearing it. And over the course of time, it became just part of what I do. Like, every day I leave the house, I wear the nose. Why the nose? Why? Because I'm tired. I was tired of looking down, people looking down at their phones all the time and you this whole head down mentality that if you go out public now, 50% of the people have their head down in the device clicking at something. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> yeah. There's no, human, there's no human interaction. Well, there isn't as much. You know, looking somebody in the eyes and saying hi and being genuine and warm and having an interaction with them, most people today in quote-unquote suburbia, in normal life in America, think two or three things. They assume, I, I believe, two or three things when you do that. One, I want to sell you something. Two, I want to take you to church or my church. Or three, I want to fuck you. <laughs> maybe, maybe a combination of all three. But they think that you have an angle. Like nice, you know, yeah, right? Hilarious. But being nice, being warm, being genuine, being open in public to someone as an expression of being a human, of being a, just a person, is now met with doubt. They're scared. What's your angle? So when I put the nose on, I go out in public like that because it makes me feel great. It reminds me of the joy of my community. It reminds me of, you know, it's cat. It's love. Someone loving me unconditionally enough to let me do this, to spread the love that we share, the love that we've been taught by the communities, the lessons that we've been taught in life about love and giving and being open and being joyful, I put it on as an expression of that. And when it's on, I've created a, I, I just believe I've created this little sphere around me, this little bubble. Because everybody has their own little bubble, right? Their boundaries. But I put that, I've, I've let go of my boundaries, but I'm putting out love. And I don't care if you talk to me or not. I'm still having a good day. Yeah. I love when I'm out. 
at my house. But if you do talk to me, then I've got the ball. You're in my court. You're in my bubble. And people aren't used to that. You know, because then when they ask me why they're not, it's just to make you happy. And I reach and I hand them the notes. And in that moment, I have transferred, I've handed out this love, this intention that I experience every day from my community, from CAT, this incredible amount of energy and joy. I handed you a little bit of that, and now you have it. And people immediately, they understand, they're like, oh, and they put it on their nose. And that will happen sometimes once a day, sometimes two or three times a day, depending on the situation. But... I've handed out 15,000 noses because I am taking a little bit of what I've learned in life and I'm giving a chance and I'm trying to transfer that. I'm trying to show you it's okay to be happy, to open up, to talk to people, to smile, to share because we're moving away from this so fast now that people don't know how to interact with each other. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And this is, this is just my shtick. You know, some people, again, they'll build a 40-foot dragon art car and shoot fire and that people may see that and it affects them all year long but when I do it I'm putting love I'm putting Burning Man I'm putting these communities I'm putting this ethos on my face at every moment and it's like a dare some people say you put you know you wear your heart on your sleeve I'm wearing my heart on my face talk to me I dare you because what they're getting when they come talk to me they don't expect they get love they get understanding compassion they get conversation it's not like oh oh you, oh, you lost a bet or Okay, here, what are you, clown? You want, you know, it's like, oh, do you do children's parties? Is this like an advertising thing? No, it's not. It's just me enjoying life. You know, I can be standing up with a free hug sign if I wanted to do that, or I could have a shirt on that said something. Instead, I have this thing on that I got your attention, that pulled you out of your shell long enough. It's like the red pill in the Matrix. It's like I'm Morpheus. Here's the blue one, here's the red one. What, the red one? Yeah. Here's the, here's the red one. It's a, here's the red pill. Trust me. And then I get, you know... I get a call or an email or something a month later and tell them, telling me how that affected their lives that day. And then they start doing it. So why the nose is just an expression of love and it's a way that I put it out there and in the whole three years I've been doing it, it changed me. It forced uh, me to be present at all times. Now there's a picture of me out there I sent to you with uh, me with the nose. <laughs> and the rest of us on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tex, hey, thank you, you. You've been such a great guest, and we're really running out of time. But uh, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh-huh. Uh, there's like, as there always is, there's like so much more to talk about. And, and it's good to have all of our listeners uh, know what Burning Man is really all about, rather than just hearing about what's on the surface about the drugs that maybe you know the psychoactives and stuff. Thank maybe you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that, man. It's like, you know, I tell people, people tell me, you know, what they think of it, and I tell them, look, if it was just a big sex-crazed, drug-rave orgy in the desert, like, I wouldn't want to go. I think, that's, <laughs> I think Luke would want to go, but... Good. I might do it once. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is there is a secret to the there is a secret to the event, and the secret is intention and love and community. And if you know if if the spectacle is the carrot that gets you there, awesome. I hope you're there. But I want people as they listen to this podcast and leave knowing that if you ch- listen to this and you choose to go, we go back to round to the full circle in the front where it's mecca. And it's like if you've chosen to do something in your life, 
to put yourself in that journey to this place that might mean something to you or you believe it does, the moment you decide to do that, you're on the journey. And look up what and you look up what spiritual journeys or paths end up doing to people. You have then chosen to say, I give myself over to this path and this journey. And between now and then you could lose your house, your car could break down, you could break up with your partner, a whole bunch of stuff could catch on fire. At the same time, you can get the most awesome job of your life, and everything could be beautiful. But you're putting yourself in a chute of energy transference, and once you make it there, then only do you find what the result of that is and why you're supposed to be there. That's that's why. Excellent. Well, Tex, stay on the line. We're going to just close Thank out you. this. We're going to close out this segment, but stay with us for real brief. Sure. And uh, Luke, we will be back on conspiracy. All right, we're back on Conspiracy Normal. Hopefully, with a few things uh, fixed, it looks like we're peaking a little bit. But I think we'll be okay. Uh, Luke, what you think, man? About uh, Tex Allen? I I think uh, just like I was telling you on break, man. I think he raised our vibration. Oh levels, man! Just, just like Devin did, you know. Like I I'm, I'm in definitely in higher spirits right now than I was earlier. That was definitely something else, man. I got—I think I got a lot out of that. It made me makes me want to go to Burning Yeah, I really now. want to go. <laughs> like before, I wasn't too crazy about it, but now it's oh, just like well, it'll change your life. Yeah, well, the the only only issue to me was the price, you know. And I know yeah, I it's it like, keeps on going what, up. Four hundred dollars or something like that. Yeah. But uh, what got me was like the, he was talking about the kids that were there. I mean, I didn't know if kids could go, but. Apparently, like whole families go, yeah, make knew, it like I a whole that. thing. Yeah. I saw. Yeah, I had no idea. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a really interesting guy. And he was telling us um, you know, about like this is the first like kind of podcast he'd ever been on, and a text with somebody that had just called like our work, wanting to buy a frame from us, and just started telling me what he was going to use it for, which is he wanted to go use it for Burning Man. Yeah. So he started talking to me about Burning Man, and you know friended him on Facebook and just have, you know, kind of followed his stuff with Why the Nose and then all, you know, he has a very big presence on Facebook, so, but, uh, <clears throat> so I just, uh, you know, sent him a message the other day saying, hey, would you like to come on and talk about Burning Man because I felt like it's something that, you know, was kind of cool to talk about, a little out of the norm, but, uh, yeah, so, what were you going to talk about? Uh... <laughs> I, well, I, I wanted I wanted to ask him a couple questions. Uh, one being like, how do you burn shit like the Biggie frame frame, and and how do you how do you burn? I don't think he burned it. Oh, okay. he, he didn't burn it. He was using it, but he didn't burn okay. it. We, well, we joked about well, that. Well, well, okay, and, yeah. uh, the temple. You saw pictures of the temple. Yeah. Um, how does that burn? It's like some kind of mud. You know, how do you burn a mud temple? Uh, I don't know. It's, I, was, I thought it would be just made out of brick, right? Or well, not brick, but I mean out of uh, wood. It was it was it wood? Yeah, I usually thought, it I thought it was some kind of adobe or yeah. some you know mud or something. But yeah, I just you know I'm gonna say this that guy and what he's talking about with why the nose has more compassion than a lot of people I see going to church, and that's a that's a hard thing as a Christian for me to say, but it's true. <laughs> it's really true. I mean, and and that's part of uh, I think this kind of idea that kind of established religion has kind of failed a lot of people because 
they do go out and go to stuff like Burning Man, you know, that kind of fills that need yeah. that churches or established religion is not giving people. Okay. Not all churches, but but for the most part, that's the way a lot of people feel. Yeah. One of the most attractive ideas about the whole thing is that people are trying to avoid subjects like that that will cause um, conflict and stuff, with other conflict of interest with other people, you know? Right. Like, it, they're trying to push all of that aside and just focus on the aspect of getting to know one another and getting to uh, you know your connections and everything like that and how you're alike rather than why you're different. Yeah. That's what's important about it. Yeah, that's what they're doing out there. So what were you saying that you were going to stu- that you were studying? What kind of stuff uh, were you I was, looking I was just into? looking up some um, interesting stuff about sound and everything. Uh, it, it doesn't really have much to do, I guess, with the, the course, the topics of the show, but... Uh, the anaholic sound chamber is really neat. Um, it, it actually, you know what, it is kind of paranormal because um, it's the quietest space on Earth that scientists have uh, built in this laboratory up north, I think in Minnesota uh, or Minneapolis, something like that. Um, they built a laboratory that is negative 10 decibels. Okay. And, you know, it's, it, it can only be, people are like, why is it, how is it negative? It's because when the decibel scale is made, like, it still is picking up. There's always sound going on in your ear, even in the quietest spot, you know, like out in the woods at night or something like that. There's still sound going on. Anyway, quietest place on earth, negative 10 decibels. And uh, what what's paranormal about it is, um, now I've said before about like um, occult training to like train, you know, people who are trying to become uh, magicians, I guess, for lack of a better word. They they'll put them in isolation, you know, in a in a dark room with no no light, no sound for like a week, so that they become aware. Yeah. And uh, the anaholic sound chamber, the longest that anybody in the world has been able to sit in it in silence is like forty five minutes without going insane. So it's so quiet. Wow. Yeah. Think about so that. So really like the the lack of any kind of noise, like uh-huh. background noise. We, we're anything. so yeah. We're we're you so would go completely insane. Yeah. We're so accustomed to having some kind of atmospheric noise going on on around us at all times that when you take that away, like completely, and then add pitch black darkness to it, people are go, just going insane. Are you going to be like the guinea pig for that? I would you love to try to do it. I'd love to try it. I'd love to try it. So that's that's one really interesting thing I was looking up and uh, found out I'm more than a quarter Native American. So Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about Obamacare, apparently. Yeah, right. I'm exempt from Obamacare, and uh, two, I uh, can go to college for free if I want to, pretty much, because I don't have to pay back awesome. any of the grants. Congratulations. So I, yeah, thanks, man. I, <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta go to, I gotta find a DNA diagnostic center to prove my heritage, though. Right. You gotta do it, man. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway, don't know what's coming up next, but uh, sometime uh, here in the course of the next month or so, I'd like you to just talk about some of the stuff you've been studying. We could have a show where we don't have a guest, where we could just talk, you know, to each other, and you could talk about some of the stuff that you're studying. We did that like uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. But I'm trying to get on a few people right now, and uh, we're gonna probably be like not sticking to just Sundays. We'll probably do some afternoons. Like right now, we're recording on a Tuesday afternoon instead of like a Sunday night, which yeah. is what we normally do. <laughs> But uh, Tex was good enough to come on 
for us then. So I think, you know, I've got some leeway to play. It is a podcast, so it's not like I have to do it like set time every night or something. Right. But uh, thank you for coming, Luke. And uh, I think we're going to just call it. No problem. I've got to go get a haircut. All right. Everybody uh, join us next time on Conspiracy. The Racist Haircutter. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.